Okay, good morning, ladies. We want to thank uh, our wonderful sponsor and wish Penny Perlman a very happy birthday. Celebrating her 30th birthday again. No, my 70th. I never lie about my age. 70th birthday. Amazing. Shem should bless you. Many, many more good health and happiness and helping watch my children. Anytime. You know it. It's the most important for your reason for your health and happiness. Okay. All right. If you'd like to sponsor in honor and memory of an occasion of a person, you can speak to Linda. It's a great sponsorship. And, uh, of course, we acknowledge it in the beginning of the learning. And the learning is all dedicated for that. And uh, it goes in the weekly and in my email and uh, is recorded online as well. So it's uh, well worth it. It's a good deal before we raise the price. Get in now. <laughs> while, prices, while prices are low, you can sponsor for a week or for the rest of the year. You can speak to Linda. Okay, we're on page Samach Dalad. Page Samach Dalad. Nesiva Shalom. We've been learning the Salonim Rebbe's piece in his Yisodi Torah. I'd say more copies down there. If someone could pass one of them down there. Maimer um, Hay within Yisodi Torah, which is dealing with the topic of Dveikos. We've been dealing with the issue of clinging to Hashem, connecting, cleaving to Hashem. Last week we defined again, Emunah is in the abstract. Emunah is the knowledge that there's a God, there's a creator, there's a first cause. Bitachon is relating what we know in the abstract into the reality. That not only do I know that there's a creator, not only do I know that there's a first cause, but I also believe that he's intimately involved in my life and that whatever happens in my life is not random, is not chance, it's by design, it's with meaning. And therefore, bitachon literally means security, trust. I trust Hashem. I trust that whatever's happening, no matter how challenging, no matter how difficult, no matter even how seemingly hopeless, I put my trust that everything is somehow for the good. I always come back to the Chazanisha's definition. That a person, a real Baal Bitachon, a real Baalaz Bitachon, someone who really lives with Bitachon, doesn't say, I trust Hashem will make things work out the way I want. I trust my stocks will go up. I trust my health will return. I trust my children will have gimme nachas. I trust, trust, trust. Rather, real Bitachon is, I trust that whatever happens, it's from Hashem. It's from Hashem. I do my Ishtadus, I take my initiative, I make my effort to create the reality that I think is right. But I do, at the end, submit that whatever happens after I take my initiative, it's all from Hashem. So last week we, we uh, talked about the definitions of Emuna, Bitachon, and Dveikus. I'm sorry, I didn't give you Dveikus. So that was Emuna, that was Bitachon. And Dveikus is not just Bitachon after the fact that I interpret everything as being from Hashem, but Dveikus is clinging to Hashem. It's wearing glasses that allow me to interpret and look at and filter the world in real time, that I'm clinging to everything that happens. Everything that happens is from Hashem. Dveikas, I'm, cling- I'm sticking with Hashem. Whatever I'm going through, whatever that moment, whatever that reason to, uh, to be anxious, I'm clinging to Hashem. So last week we developed the idea that Chazal interpreted this Pasuk, that tidbak, that we have to cling to Hashem, different formulations of the same mitzvah. So Chazal... Um, defined it as, as clinging to Tamidah Chachamim. Is it really possible to cling to Hashem? Hashem is the source of everything. If you connect too close to Hashem, He'll consume you. That'll be it. So how can you cling to Hashem? We can cling to His ambassadors in this world. Whatever it is that excites us, whatever it is that impresses us, whatever it is that we're in awe of, when we connect with that which we're in awe of, somebody who excels at it, then that too can give us, give us goosebumps. I talked about you know, being exposed to great tzaddikim, great tamidei chachamim, great gedolei Yisrael, who live with a level of emunah and bitachon, who live with a knowledge of Torah. Orly, the seat's here. Yeah. 
who live with the knowledge of Torah, that, um, that even when we struggle ourselves, but when we connect to somebody who is, who is that great. It's true for Holocaust survivors. I don't think we mentioned this last week. When we struggle with our Amunah and Bitachon, when you connect with and cling to a, a Holocaust survivor who despite everything they went through, nevertheless is uh, positive and hopeful and optimistic, Mr. Judovitz, Martin Judovitz is unfortunately in the hospital right now. Should have a shleima. Please, God, will be okay. But he's he's in the hospital. So I went yesterday to visit him with a letter with a tara. And the way out, I said, you know, whatever challenges in life, whatever hardships, whatever thing you, I, anyone's going through, I promise you, it doesn't begin to compare to one iota of a gazillionth of what he went through. That's not to minimize our challenges because our challenges are our challenges. And it doesn't make you feel better, it just makes you feel guilty about feeling bad about your challenges. And, you know, we don't need more guilt, or we don't need to feel bad. Um, so I don't say it to say that we should minimize our issues and wish them away just because there are Holocaust survivors who went through worse. What I say, though, is that when we struggle with Amuna, if we have a momentary lapse of, of, of faith, if, we're, if we feel that tinge of doubt or uncertainty, just look at a Mr. Judovitz and look at those people we all have in our life living and those who are no longer among the living, who after everything they went through, they had emunah and bitachon. And they had dveikas. They had insane dveikas. On that wall, spoken about this often, the Yecheved's grandmother's Tehillim, which is saturated with her tears. The dve, she didn't understand a word was in it, but, and I don't mean to, to disparage her, I'm sure she understood it, but uh, you know, she couldn't get a shear on the Malbim and Mitzudah's David and the Rashi and the Ibn Ezra and the different Pshatim and the different Tehillim. But when she held the Dveka, she was, she was in the middle of a conversation with Hashem. Every, every time she turned that page of Tehillim, she was talking to the Ribbon Shalom like it was her best friend. About her children, about her, her, her son and daughter-in-law, her grandchildren, her life, what she needed, her siblings. So that's, that's that that's that Dveka. So we talked about last week, this notion of Das Torah. And that if you have no Das, you can't have Das Torah. And that you have to have Seichel, is the core of Das, which is the core of Das Torah. The idea that you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't have common sense, if you're not a kind and compassionate person, then the Torah hasn't filtered down from the head to the heart. You're not Doma Lamalach, you're not similar to a Malach Hashem Tzavakos, then that's not a role model that we should be clinging to. But if you have somebody who the Torah is not only in their brain, they not only have this enormous capacity to download terabytes of information into their brain, um, but it also filters down. Gravity pulls it down into their heart, into their hands, into their feet, so that they're living examples of what Torah is, so that's what Chazal was saying. Cling to such a person. Be connected to such a person. Be in the presence of such a person. Seek the advice and the guidance and the wisdom and the support of such a person or of such people. And I'll go out on a liberal limb here and say, men or women, right? We have great, you know, Archibald didn't hesitate to publish the book on Rebetzin Kanievsky and on Hany Machlis. And whether it's men or women of incredible Amuna Bitachon Tvekus, reading their biography, connecting to their story, is what lifts us. Okay, all of that was last week. We're in the bottom left paragraph on page Samachdalad. Kamochin Anumotsu Migdoli and Mefarshim Shikasu Amaimar Chazal and Nizkar, Vachiev Shalidavik Bishkina, Shaloba Maimar Zelahotia Mikra Midepshuto. According to others, they interpret this statement of our rabbis that even though the rabbis say, is it really possible to cling to God? What does it mean? Cling to God's ambassadors. They never meant to offer that additional layer of interpretation to replace the simple level. It was an additional level. It was to complement the simple level. But the simple level of interpretation, namely, just cling to God, is still meant to be. But say for Afla Kosov, the Afla in Ksubas writes, V'zeh al-Lashon, V'chiyesh al-Yudalik b'Shchina, 
So he has a great question, Hafla. If we interpret cling to God means cling to somebody who is an agent, an ambassador of God, feel connected to God through being in the presence of somebody who's godly, well, what do those people do to cling to God? Where do they go? Now, the simple understanding is that we spoke about this in the Parsha class last week. You know, this is the Parsha of the Mesorah, that Yitzchak Avinu is the, the handoff, the link in the chain between an Avram and a Yaakov. Yitzchak is not, you know, especially distinctive in terms of his contribution, but his enormous contribution is that the Mesorah, he passes the baton. And that in itself is an enormous contribution. We talked about that idea yesterday. So the notion of Mesorah is the passing of the baton. And this is the first mission of Avos. That Moshe received the Torah at Sinai and gave it to Yeshua, gave it to the Zikadim, gave it to Anshakin and Sagadola, and so on and so forth. The Mishnah delineates the Shalshelas, Hamasora, Hakabala, the whole transmission. The Rambam in his commentary picks up where the Mishnah leaves off and traces it all the way through till his time. Exactly who the Balei Masora, who handed that baton. And you can trace that baton handoff until this very day. Now, there's not one baton, it doesn't get handed person by person. I think there are several batons a generation and several Balei HaMasora, great rabbis of, of a generation. Nobody will deny in the 20th century Shlomo Zalman, Rav Moshe, Rabbi Salavitchik, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rav Hutner. These were the Balei HaMasora. They were distinguished not only in their knowledge and their leadership and their character, and in every generation there are those people who distinguish themselves. So the simple understanding to the Baha'u'llah's question is, what do these people do for inspiration? I think the easy answer is, everyone has to have a Rebbe. Nobody is so great that they begin their own chain. Everybody's a link that connects to an earlier link within the chain. In fact, somebody who is such a revolutionary, radical trendsetter who goes off to start their own chain is not only not admirable, there's somebody that we reject. Because that's not, that's not what the Mesorah is all about. It's all within the Mesorah. So everyone has a Rebbe. And even if you don't have a living Rebbe, you have the memory and the teachings of the Rebbe who you once had, who you continue to connect to and who continues to inspire and inform you. So the simple answer is that there's nobody who's Rebbe-less, nobody who's Talmud Chachamless, nobody who can't achieve Dveikos by connecting with the image of the person who they hold in such high esteem and does such a great example. But that's not what the Hafla answers. Hafla continues to ask the question, Those who are in a position that they're inspiring others, those who are in a position that they're supposed to be the role models for others, and they're trying to be the image that others connect to, who, who do they connect with? Now that, that part of the question is a good question. Because Moshe is the first link in the chain. <laughs> Moshe is the original paperclip. Right? He's the first link. So who did Moshe turn to? Now, again, that too is an easy question to answer because it's nobody, nobody was Medabra Pel Pel. Nobody had the access to Hashem that Moshe Rabbeinu had. So the rest of us need to substitute kind of an inferior alternative of connecting with an ambassador and agent of Hashem. Moshe had the luxury of connecting with Hashem. There was no doubt, there was no uncertainty. For Moshe, I mean, it came with awesome responsibility. But for Moshe, he connected with Hashem. But anyway, that's the Hafla's question. So you can't only interpret Ubo Tidbak to cling to Hashem as clinging to the role models. And again, I cannot encourage you strongly enough. Somebody sends you a great video of, a, of an amazing story of a great Rav Rebetzin, watch it. 
You have the opportunity to sit down and read something. Don't go to the library and take out some schmutzy novel, stupid waste of time. It's okay. It's recreation. I'm not knocking it. It's recreation. Reading is very good for you. But I was saying, if you have the opportunity, I'm telling you to. You read the Hani Machlis book. Aside from feeling small and insignificant and pathetic, but you'll also be inspired. I'm giving you my promise. You will absolutely be inspired. There's no shortage of biographies of great men and great women. I would even argue Jewish and non-Jewish biographies of people who confronted challenging times and circumstances and overcame and had tenacity. That's a great use of your time. And it's a great thing to encourage among your children, your grandchildren. Create a system where you get a, they get a reward for every biography they read, for every book they complete. Get them a gift. I don't know. If they write you a one-page, a one-paragraph report on it, they get back a $20 bill in the mail. I don't know. Figure out something. But get your kids in a... Because it's a very, very nuanced, subtle... It's a very... It's a very um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. But under-the-radar way to become inspired. Yeah, you can go to the class and the rabbi's yelling and screaming and waving their arms. Yeah, you can try to draw, draw the inspiration yourself. But, but reading about great people... Is, is an incredible way to become inspired. You become on fire. You close that book, and you're like, that's it, I'm changing the world. That's it, I'm conquering my demons. That's it, I too can overcome. Now again, it's gotta be the right book, and, and it can't be a book that has been sanitized so that the person looks like they were born perfect, because then it accomplishes the opposite, because you say, well, I've got challenges. They were born perfect, so I, I guess I'm hopeless. So it's gotta be, it's gotta be the right book. So, so again, the Hafla is asking, how can you say that Ubot Tidbak just means connect to people who are connected? Well, who do those people connect to? Ela habi or who ki atorah nitna l'chol Yisrael v'kula metzuvam al Ubot Tidbakun. So he says the truth is that the simple understanding of the pasuk is still in force. It still applies. It still is relevant, which is that we all have the ability to cling to Hashem. The Talmachacham is able to stay inspired for himself or herself, because they are learning at a high level, they're davening at a high level, they're connected spiritually, they have a high-speed connection. The Talmud Chacham and the Torah are one. They're married to the Torah. There's an re- intuitive relationship to the Torah. So the part of the Torah that's a part of the Shoresh Nishmaso, the Talmud Chacham was so intrinsically, inherently connected to Torah, Torah's not extraneous, it's not tangential, it's not a, an appendage to him. Torah is a piece of him, it's his kidney, it's his lungs, it's the air he breathes, it's, it's who he is, it's who he is. You know, it's, it's I've been exposed to incredible Tamid Chachamim. They have a free second, all they want is to grab a safer. That's, you say, this is our life, this is the air we breathe. I'll, I'll admit to you, I'll, I'll, I'll admit to you that I wish I were on that level. When I learn, it's because it's the right thing to do and I want to do it. And when I'm doing it, I enjoy doing it. But if it's a choice between doing it and having a corned beef uh, and club, you know, whatever. So I'm not... But there are, there are Talmudia Chachamim. It's the air they breathe. It's the air they breathe. Rav Shechter, my Rebbe had a big birthday. Baruch Hashem. Yishmei Bracha. All right. Only in Florida can you get drenched and a sunburn at the same time. Such a blessing. Gishmei Bracha. But it'll be over in about 30 seconds. So, Rav Shechter had a major milestone birthday also this year. And his family made up this, uh, they gave him as a gift. They didn't put it anywhere, but, but I got a copy. They, they made a collage 
It was of pictures that Rebbe and Shechter had taken of Rebbe Shechter learning in like oh, wow. everywhere he could imagine. Every time was like, they were traveling on vacation, a minute at an airport, he never noticed. He just had a safer. That was just, that was him. That was him. I once picked up Rebbe Shechter. Rebbe Shechter came to my house. He was speaking here a couple of years ago. I said, Rebbe, how was, the, how was the flight? Everything was smooth? He said, you know, it was the most amazing thing. He goes, I got to my seat and I opened my Gemara. He goes, and the next thing they said that uh, we're landing. Because I, I hadn't realized we took off. I didn't realize we had taken off yet. I just, I had opened the Gemara. Now, when Roshetta says that, he's not like, put that on Facebook about me so that I get a lot of likes, you know. Roshetta doesn't say that because he wants any, because he wants any attention. For Roshetta, that's just, that's the reality, is, is I opened the Gemara, I didn't even realize we took off. Next thing you know, we were landing. For me, to be like, okay, I learned a little bit, I feel good, now, where are the blue chips? You know, so... And I'm, I'm, I aspire, I aspire for, for much greatness. But the point is that when we attach ourselves to people like that, you hear that story, that's incredible. So we understand, again, the Hafla's question. We understand our Rav Shechter, we understand the Rav Asher Weiss, we understand our Rav Bayim, we understand our great role models, Rabbi Rabinovic is coming back to Shabbos. We understand that, that Torah is the air they breathe. I come back after a long day, it's midnight. It doesn't matter how exhausted I am. If I didn't have dinner, I'm going to eat. Because my craving to eat is so strong, my appetite to eat, that even though I don't need to eat, Trust me, there's enough reserve. I, I will survive till the morning. But you eat something because I love eating and I didn't eat dinner. I'm going to eat something before I fall asleep. The great Talmud Chacham comes back from, from being Osik B'tzibur the whole day and, and all the things that they didn't anticipate. And then they get a chance to learn or learn the way they wanted. So even though it's midnight and they can collapse out of exhaustion, they're hungry for Torah. They, just, they can't imagine falling asleep without learning. And again, I've seen that with my own, with my own eyes. So the person who's Shodash Nishmaso, it's part of their, their life. So I understand why they don't necessarily need to attach to someone bigger than themselves. They're immersed in it. They're in it, they're in it all day. But the rest of us, the rest of us. We're turning the page. Listen to this beautiful, beautiful description, this inspirational uh, interpretation of the Islam Rebbe. The Pasuk says, Yaakov, Chevel Nachalasa. Yaakov is described the rope of the Nachala, our inheritance, our tradition, the, the rich inheritance that's waiting for us, a life of faith, a life of amuna, a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life of selflessness, a life of, of connecting to Torah and mitzvahs and uplifting every act and everything we do. That nachalah, that heritage, that inheritance, that magnificent life, that light, it's waiting for us. It is something that's bequeathed to us. And what is it likened to? A rope. Says the Slanam Rebbe, that nachalah of Yaakov, who we're beginning to read about in this week's parsha. Why is it compared to a rope? What's the connection to a rope? He says a rope is only as strong as the amount of strings that are in it. Right? The more strings in the rope, the thicker the rope, the stronger the rope. You're not going to dangle some canopy from a thread. If you look at the rope, whether it's metal or, or um, fabric, it's numerous strings intertwined. And you take that and you intertwine that with no numerous strings and it creates the thickness of a rope. Same to Jewish people. When you take a string, you attach yourself. The rope gets thicker and thicker when you attach yourself and you have more to hold on to. So that, you know, I'll, I'll add to this, that Chazal also, like, in, we live in a world, I told you to be gone in a minute, that the, um, the gusts of wind 
and the current of the tide is so strong, it can easily wash you away. Easily. So how do we stay grounded? What's our anchor? All you have to do is read the wrong books or watch the wrong pop culture or read the wrong newspapers and the wrong ideas and the wrong images and the wrong thoughts can totally wash you away from the anchor of our true heritage. You know, I'll give you one example which is really contemporary in the news right now. We are a people that have a heritage of wholesomeness and innocence and purity which are the core of healthy relationships. And we're living in a world that all that has been stripped away, pun intended. That, that there is no... In other words, not only is there no climate of wholesomeness and innocence and purity and fidelity and loyalty and modesty and relationships, not only is there not in practice, it's not even a goal or an aim. That is, that is made fun of, right? We have a world where on the one hand... Earlier in the year, Mike Pence was made fun of because he observes the laws of Yichud. Mm-hmm. He says, I so cherish, cherish my marriage, I won't be mm-hmm. alone with another woman. Mm-hmm. And then we have the end of this year mm-hmm. where we have the scandals through the sky of men who are alone with women and the horrific, horrible, mm-hmm. deplorable things that they did and they should be accountable for it. Mm-hmm. And nobody puts the two and two together who says, maybe we shouldn't have been making fun of Mike Pence so much. Yeah. Maybe there's something to that, that way of life. So if you were to just shape your life by whatever is the contemporary ideas, we're being washed away from the, the anchor that's supposed to hold us in place with the truth of what we have. I, this is house that you're sitting in is a girl's dormitory. You may not know it. I live in a girl's dormitory. I don't, I don't want to say I have like more credibility to talk about this stuff. I happen to not be a girl. But I live along men, among many of them. So it's me and Shai. Me and Shash, I have, I have six daughters and a little boy. I also have a wife. So it's, it's seven women and me and a five-year-old. So we're, we're well, well outweighed in this house. This is a girl's dormitory in every which way. So, and I can tell you, it is a battle. It is an enormous battle. Your, your children can be in the right environment with incredible teachers and, and you hope doing a great job in your home with minimum exposure to everything out there. It's still an enormous battle. Every day, what I want to wear, what I want to listen to, what I want to watch, how I want to think, who I want to be. Not because they thought through the implications and the consequences and the messaging. That's just, that's the wind. The current is so strong. It's gonna, it, it, gonna, it lifts up and uproots anything and takes it with it. Anything in its path, that's the current. So how do you hold on? That's the Yaakov Chevel Nachalaso. Yaakov, the Chevel Nachalaso. We've got to throw our kids ropes and we've got to hold on to the rope. And you hold on to the rope and you can withstand the strongest current. But not a rope that's going to snap on you. If the rope is so weak it's going to snap on you, you'll be washed away. The rope's got to be a thick, thick rope. And how is that a thick rope when it's made up of our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents? It's made up of tzaddikim and gedoli Yisrael and tamidei chachamim. It's made up of our own being role models and the messages and the messaging that we send. And the thicker and the stronger the rope, the easier it is to hold on to and the less likely it is to snap. But I'm seeing all around me, I'm dealing all around me with, with people, children and adults being washed away, swept away. And, and either no one's throwing them the rope or the rope's not thick enough or the rope is dangling but they can't reach it because we're not making it accessible where they're at and we have to do a much, much better job. So, Ubo Tidbakun, 
So this Pasuk, this Yaakov, is talking about clinging to Hashem. How do we connect? How do we cling? How do we cleave? By the way, there's also a very high correlation that if you're, if you're defining your life, your ambitions, your goals by pop culture and by the secular world, then you're going to say, and by the way, I have no spirituality and I don't see Hashem and I don't feel it and so on and so forth. There's a high connection between the two. Hashem dwells in a place of wholesomeness and purity and innocence and that lends itself to spirituality. Now we can find Hashem in the darkest of places. It doesn't matter where you are. Sometimes you easy, most easily can find Him in the dark places. I put on the Amuna WhatsApp the other day an interpretation um, based on that of, of a Pasuk of only in the darkness do you find the light and so on. From the depths you can, you can climb out. So don't give up. When you hit that dark place is, is when you can find light. But in a kind of sustained way we need to provide that environment for our children. But Pnei Yeshua Ksubis, Salam Rabbi now quotes the Pnei Yeshua, of Yeshua Falk, who writes, Nira Perusha Devada Afagad Dechsebeshchina, Kiyashem Alokim Eisha Ochlahi, even though it talks about God as an all consuming fire, Afilo Hachi Efsher, Kimishu Tamachacham, Medabek Beshchina Ayude Evala Torah, Shemotsmi Piv, Shinikur Gamkin Eish, Shinodomar Halo Divaraika Eish. A Tamachachem are, are, are not only ambassadors and agents of Hashem, they're His partners. They're His partners in executing the mission. In executing the mission and the vision, bringing about that reality in the world. Not everybody's a Rav Shechter, not everybody's a Rav Asher Weiss, not everybody's a Rav Aheni Machlis or a Rebetzin Kanievsky. Not everybody has that intuitive amuna, that faith, that belief in miracles, that connection, that connectivity. So what do they do? Is Hashem not accessible to us? Is this not a mitzvah that we can achieve? Should we just write this one off and cut our losses? Well, we told us Yaakov Yosef, on Parshas Ekev it says, when you're connecting to the Tamachacham, you're not just connecting to the Tamachacham and he's connecting to Hashem. When you're connecting to the Tamachacham, you're connecting to Hashem. It's a means. It's not an indirect mean. It's not that you'll settle for the second best, you'll connect to the Tamachacham. It's by connecting to the Tamachacham and their example you're actually feeling connected to Hashem, to the source, to the source itself. So continuing, But according to the simple understanding that the mitzvah at its most core basic level is to feel Hashem, is dveikas. You're going through a hard time, pause, and remember, you know what? I'm clinging, connecting, devek, glue. I'm connecting, I'm gluing myself to Hashem. God, I'm not letting go. I'm holding you by the lapels, and I'm saying, I'm... I'm I'm davening, I'm davening, I'm davening relentlessly, and I'm not letting go. And even if you say no, I'm not letting go. You're going to be here with me in this, or I'm going to go with you, but I'm not letting go. That's dveikas. So cling to a tamachacham is a... Um, is only for those people who can't achieve it on their own. So the truth is, don't take the one idea of clinging to Hashem and interpret it as clinging to His Talmud Yichachamim, to His agents, but rather realize that the Pasuk, there are two Pasukim that talk about clinging to Hashem and understand that they are providing us two parallel ways to connect to Hashem. 
Derech achas aydei yiras Hashem, derech achas aydei avas Hashem. Okay, so now we're moving back to direct connection. How do you cling to Hashem? One way is through love, through romance, through intimacy with Hashem. And the other is through awe. Which one comes first? Awe comes first. Why? If you don't have a foundation of awe, the love is not a real love. Because you, you, we see this in, in failing marriages. You could claim all the love in the world, but if there's not a foundation of respect, of awe, of admiration, then it's a self-serving love. It's not a genuine love that creates the bond and the connection. There has to be a foundation of respect. And only upon that can the love be built and is the love meaningful. So Yira comes first. As it says, The beginning of wisdom is Yiras Hashem. It's the Rishas Chachma. The next step of Chachma is Amas Hashem. But the, the entrance, the gateway, is Yiras Hashem. The Gemara says that Avas Hashem is the inner chamber. Right? Where can you have a romantic rendezvous with the Ribbon Shalom? Where can you confide in him, feel connected to him, feel, feel romance and love with him? That's the inner chamber. But what's the point of having the key to the inner chamber if you lack the key to get in the building? Yiras Hashem is the key to get in the building. That's what the Gemara says. So you can have all the keys to the inner chamber, but if you don't have the key to the building, then what could be the other set of keys? So you need a healthy dose of Yiras Shemaim, of Yiras Hashem. The idea that in fact... Right, these Avos Hashem, Yiras Hashem, we spent a couple weeks ago talking about Godless Adam and Shiftless Adam. How do we grow? By thinking about our greatness and therefore driving ourselves to achieve that greatness or by thinking about our lowliness, how really pathetic and insignificant and unworthy we are and when we see ourselves in context, that humility will drive our personal growth. And of course the answer is both. It's the combination and the balance between the two. That's the Avos Hashem and the Yiras Hashem. The Midah of Yira of awe leads to clinging to Hashem. The Gemara says that the truth is everything is in Hashem's hands except for Yira Shemaim. And the Zohar interprets that to understand if really everything is in Hashem's hands except Yira Shemaim, then that means that if you have Yira Shemaim, you have everything that you could have. So let's take one second and explain what this means. What does it mean everything's in Hashem's hands but Yira Shemayim? What does that mean? Everything. It means that when you woke up this morning, you thought that your day was going to be filled with 5,000 choices and decisions you'd make. Would you come to the class, not come to the class? Would you come on time? Would you come late? Would you have the coffee? Would you not have the coffee? What would you wear? Would you speed? Would you drive slowly? Would you turn on the radio? Would you sit in silence? By the way, that's all within like four seconds. There's a thousand. What? You had all those decisions, right? There's, there's a gazillion decisions. That was like when only your first eye opened. It was even before your second eye was opened. You already, those were the decisions that you had to make. By the end of the day, I would guess we all make, I don't even know what the number is, 10,000 decisions a day? I don't even know what the number is. But we're, we're every second, whatever amount of seconds there are on the day, that's the amount of decisions we're making in a day. Because every second we're making a decision. What to say, what to look at, where to go, what to listen to, who to connect. I mean, there's a gazillion decisions we make a day. So we think that we are the arbiters of our destiny. We think that we're the ones making those decisions. At the end of the day, we want to look back and say, who crafted this day? I did. I made all the decisions and it brought about all the consequences. Come along, Chazal, the rabbis, comes along to Gemara and says, no. I'm so sorry to tell you there's no tooth fairy. And I'm so sorry to tell you that there's no... I don't know what else. But 
You don't make any of those decisions. Where does free will come in? Where does free will come in? So where does free will come in? So you think the free will was deciding what you're wearing right now, and if you were to come here right now, and what style your hair is in right now, and what kind of cell phone you have right now, and where you live. You think all of that's a result of your free will? 100% it's not. It's not. You know why? You know why? It's the result of the IQ you were given, your predisposition, the personality you were born with, your athleticism, your artistic ability, your height, your weight, your brain power, your memory, what family you were born into, your socioeconomic status, your health, your, there are a gazillion factors which predetermined the decision that you arrived at that you think you made, but it was really the result of all of these other factors which you had nothing to do with. Your genetics, your DNA, your... Do you have a quick metabolism, a slow metabolism? Are you an early riser? Are you this? Are you predisposed to rage? Are you patient? Are you this? Are you that? Now we can work on those, and I'll talk about that in one second, but make no mistake that the core of those predispositions is something we're born with. It's something we're born with. Even, I went through this exercise on Shabbat Shuvah. If you remember, I picked on the teenage boys today who wear the tight pants with the (laughs) elastic on the bottom, for those of you who are there. Whatever you're wearing right now, you think that you made the, oh, this is my fashion. This is my personal style. I made the choice. This is my free will. It's a joke. If you were born in 17th century Poland, or 14th century Spain, or 9th century Italy, or 1st century Rome, you wouldn't be wearing this. You wouldn't be thinking like this. You wouldn't be anything... We are absolutely the result of where we're living, the time we're living in, the place we're living in. You think your opinions on politics or religion are your own? It's what you heard at your Shabbos table. It's what you heard your grandparents, how they voted. Or it's either that way or you did exactly the opposite because you were rebelling. But the, the, point is, the, point is, the point is you didn't arrive on them at your own. You didn't arrive on them at your own. So again, I'm, I'm sorry to like, dispel the, the notion, but you think you have free will to make all the decisions you're making today Almost all of them were already made for you. Mm-hmm. What's left then? Where is their free will? Yeah. If free will is the core of life, it's the greatest gift of life, it's the purpose of life, so where's the free will? So that's what the Chachamim were saying. Hakol Everything about your life was upstairs. Everything about your life is being predetermined and controlled from upstairs. What's left? Only Yira Shemayim. Which is how we take everything about our life and how we live it. Do we imbue it with meaning and purpose? Are we living it with an awareness and a mindfulness that there's a God, that we have a mission, that there's a purpose to our being here, that we're serving Him? Or are we living it on our own, thinking that we're in charge? So, again, it's a pretty scary notion that it's all been predetermined. What's left is to empower it, to imbue it, to impregnate it with meaning and purpose. It's all been predetermined upstairs. How we interpret it, how we accept it, how we live it, what we do with it, that's Yerushalayim, that's up to us. That's all that's up to us. So given that that's all that's up to us, might as well think about it every once in a while. We think about all the things that are not up to us, that we think are up to us, but really aren't up to us. That's what we spend all our time thinking about. And the one thing that's left that's up to us, we neglect. We don't think about it all. We're not mindful of it all. And that's really the only thing that's left to put in our... By the way, not only is it the one thing that's left, Hashem is desperate for us to do it. I know that Rosh Hashanah is in the rearview mirror, but I'll take you back to Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah tells us that on Rosh Hashanah, the Gemara says, God says, I need you to recite Malchios so that I can be your king. What do you mean? Can't God be our king without our saying Malchios? God's our king automatically now. So the only distinguishes between what's called a Moshel and a Melech. 
A moshel is a ruler. A moshel is somebody who imposes himself on others or herself on others. They're a ruler. They're a ruler by power. They're a ruler by force. They're a dictator. They have forced themselves on others. A melech, ain't melech below am. A melech has a nation who embraces him. A melech, a king, rules because they've been accepted, appointed, inaugurated by the people. Ain't melech below am. God says, I could be emotional on the world. I created the world. And I can move it around like a chessboard. I'm in control of the world. I'm the Moshe. But to be your melech, you have to choose me. I can't force myself to be your melech. So it's kind of a great theological conundrum, a riddle. Is there anything God can't do? Right? You know the old one. Can God create a, something so heavy he can't lift it? So if you say yes, he can, it means there's something he can't do. If you say no, he can't, it means there's something he can't do. That's the old, old but it's a klutz kasha. Okay, I didn't mean to confuse him, make you dizzy. Put that aside for a moment. But, but is there something God can't do? And the answer is yes, there's only one thing God can't do, and that's make us accept him, make us see him, make us live with him. He can't do that. He can manipulate the circumstances to set us up for it, put us in a family that was inspiring, expose us to teachers that were inspiring, give us the qualities and the traits and the attributes that would make us likely to be inspired. He could set the whole thing up, but whether we take that leap and see him in our life, God turns to us and says, that's also, you know, the, the famous Avram Fried song, Tanya, when Hashem says, give me a bracha, Hashem says, give me a bracha, I'm not going to sing it for you, I mean, Hashem says, give me a bracha, what kind of bracha could you give Hashem? Yiratzam lofanecha, so the bracha that we give Hashem, Hashem wants a bracha. The bracha He asks for is, make my people see me, love me, find me. That's the bracha He needs. So it kind of is a major role reversal where Hashem goes from the one entirely in charge and we're passive to in the end of the day, the one thing that matters, we're the ones in control of. So I'm, re- I'm giving you back your, your sense of self. Right? The things that you think you're in control of, you're in control of nothing. We are utterly pathetic, passive spectators along for the ride. But on the one thing that really matters, we're the only ones in control of. The only ones. Don't forfeit it. Don't forfeit it. Don't concede it. Don't let it go. Don't neglect it. It's the one thing that matters. So all the things today about late and on time and what you wear and where you go and who you think and what your friends and what you ordered for lunch and what, all that, it was pretty much set in motion. It was set in motion before you were born in the very DNA that you carry. Right? All that was pretty much set in motion. But will you make a bracha before you eat and after you eat? Will you see Hashem in the traffic light that you got stopped at and that you were late for a reason and therefore not lose your cool? Will you volunteer? Will you daven with kavana? Will you view yourself as having a personal mission in life that you need to accomplish? All the rest of that, that's all that we have left and that's all that matters. <coughs> Which isn't it so amazing that we're in the ones who are in control of that. So that's Yir HaShemayim. And that Yir HaShemayim, that Akobi De Shemayim Chutzmi Yir HaShemayim, is the precursor to Dveikas. Because you realize that that recognition, that living, everything we're in control of, we have no control. The only thing we have control of is the most important thing to decide, and that's whether we have Hashem in our life. And how do we show that we've made the right choice with that? By living a life of mindfulness, of consciousness, of conscientiousness, of Hashem's presence, of Dveikas, of clinging to Him. So Hashem realized, it's like, it's like you're going into surgery. You think you're in control of the outcome of your surgery? Buddy, you're being put to sleep. So all that you have left is to say to the doctor, I'm putting my trust in you. As I'm falling asleep and submitting and saying, it's up to you, the outcome of the surgery, I'm connecting with you. So Hashem is the great surgeon in the sky. 
And we are walking through life anesthetized. Even while we're awake, the truth is, we're asleep in terms of controlling our own destiny. So the one thing that's left is to say, Hashem, the great surgeon in the sky, Dveikas, I'm, I'm clinging to you. I'm putting my trust in you. I'm relying on you. It's really all about you. You wonder why surgeons think they're God. But I'm, 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 relying, I'm relying 100% on you. All right, we're out of time. Mr. Hashem will pick up with this. Next week, am I here? I have a wedding in New York next week. I'll send an email.